Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. The California coastal redwood trees are some of the oldest living things in the world. Other than cutting them down and counting their rings, the best way to determine the age of these redwoods or any other tree is with an incremental borer. That's a long, narrow tube twisted into the tree from the bark to the pitch at the center of the tree. A small, finger-sized wooden rod revealing one line, which represents one tree ring, is then removed and counted. Each tree ring represents one year of the tree's life. Though few old-growth redwood forests exist now, some of the remaining redwoods are estimated to be close to 2,000 years old. Although that's easy to say, it's beyond my kin to fathom. Jack Scott of Ukiah, California, is our guest in this edition of Radio Curious. In 1936, before the era of the chainsaw, Scott harvested old-growth redwoods when he was 15 years old. Part of that harvest process was to push and then pull one end of a two-person handsaw, some of which were 12 feet long. When Scott visited the Radio Curious studios on November 12, 2017, we began our conversation when I asked him to describe working in the woods at that time. The big handsaws we called misery whips. We had up to 16 foot. I've still got a 12. And why were they called misery whips? They were a misery to use. How did, how did you use them? By hand, just hard labor. Uh, how many men? Just one man on each end saw. So what was the process like? When you arrive at the tree that you decide that you would like to cut down, what did you do first? Well, look for a layout, which way you could lay it without breaking it. You can lay a redwood tree on solid concrete as long as it's level. But if you've got a high spot or a low spot in it, you'll break it from one end to the other. So you build up the low spots, cut the high spots off. How big were the trees? How tall were they that, that you worked on? Well... They said the world's tallest tree was in Montgomery Grove for a while, and they found the taller one. The last tall one they found up in, I can't remember the name of the park. Wasn't that uh, Lady Bird Johnson Lady Park? Lady Bird Johnson. And then a storm came along and took about 30 feet out of the top of it. So now they've got another tall tree. I had one in, out there that I measured was within three feet of the tallest tree. How do you measure the height of a tree? With a square and a level. Can you explain that? for? Well, you, you walk out so many feet from the tree and set up your level and the square and shoot the top of it, and then you figure out the distance between it. By shoot the top of it, you mean you figure out the number of degrees between the level yeah. and the top of the tree yeah. and use high school geometry. Yeah. What was the height of those trees? 
Well, they say the the tallest is three sixty four since three sixty five. I fell a couple that was within two feet of it. Where were those trees? In Montgomery Grove. And Montgomery Grove, for our listeners, is about twenty miles west of Ukiah, California, uh, approximately halfway to the ocean on what's called the Ore Springs Road, a windy road through beautiful forest lands. Jack Scott, how old were those trees at that time? Were you able to discern that? I have no idea. People tell you all different things. I've had one man tell me they all grew since the earthquake, but (laughs) everybody knows that's not true. My understanding is that you can determine the age of a tree by the number of rings right. from the center outward. So if it's uh, there's one one ring a year? That's what they say. Did you ever sit down and, and count the tree, the rings in a tree that you had fallen? Up to, up to one inch, and that was all, and then you measured by the inch from there on out. Otherwise. But you have big rings and you have small rings, according to the weather. The the uh, more water, the more rain, the, yeah. the wider yeah. the ring. Yeah. The trees that we're talking about are what kind? Redwood, all redwood. All redwood, no uh, pine. All virgin timber. Okay, and by virgin timber, first growth. First growth. So in falling the tree, um, preparing to fall the tree, you look for or create a level spot. Right. And then what do you do? Well, if it's a low spot, you build it up, and if it's a high spot, you cut it off. And then you use your gunning sticks and shoot where you want to lay it. And you lay it out where where it's supposed to be. What's a gunning stick? They're about 12 feet long, and they have a hinge in the top, and you open it up and put it back where you want to put the cut on each side and aim down the time, and it shows you right where it's going to hit. When when you make the cut, what does the cut look like? By hand, it's a different cut than it is with the chainsaw. Well, let's start with how you did it in B.C., as you say, before chainsaws. You sawed in as far as you wanted, and then you chopped out the undercut. The undercut. So the uppercut is at an angle yeah. to the ground. The that, lower one is parallel to the ground. Right. That shows you where it's going to go. And that directs where it, when you say where it's going to go? Yeah. What do you mean? Where it's going to fall? Yeah. So these trees were pretty big. I fell one that was 15 foot three across the undercut. Across the undercut, is that the the diameter of the tree? Uh, usually not quite. The diameter was usually a little larger than that. So 15 feet across. That's a, that's a lot of chopping when you do it by hand. How many men would do the chopping? Two. Can you tell us about what that was like, how you worked together? Well, you could a tree that size, you could both fall right-handed. But usually you had a right-handed faller and a left-handed faller. And I was never lucky enough to find one that could chop left-handed, so I used to have to chop left-handed. I could chop just as good, but it was more work for me. 
who made that decision as to whether you chop right or left-handed? You or the... the... Well, usually you had a falling partner, and, and if he couldn't fall left-handed, you had to. And if neither of you could, what, what would happen? You'd have to find another faller. <laughs> who were you working for in these years? My father-in-law. He was called Shaky Johnson. Did um, Shaky Johnson um, own the, the land where the trees were? No, he, he had timber right. And these trees were here in Mendocino County? Yeah, the Orange Springs Road. Near what is now Montgomery Woods State Preserve. Right. What year was this? I'm having a hard time remembering well, it was before World War II. Oh, yeah. And after World War I. And you're 96 years old. How old were you when you started working there? In the woods? Yeah. 15. How'd you first learn about working in the woods? Well, I didn't like school, and I quit school. <laughs> Went to work in the mills because they were paying big wages. 35 cents an hour at that time was unheard of. Can I ask what was hard about school for you? I don't know. I just didn't like school. And so I I only went to the ninth grade before I went to work in the mills. Have you been back to school then, since? No. I've read all my life, so I've read hundreds of books and I I remember what I read, so I, that was most, mostly my education. So staying with, um, with the um, process of falling trees, and I'd like to ask about your education a little later. You can't ask about something I didn't have. I thought you said that the, the, the I didn't have an education. <laughs> I read all my life. Huh? Okay. That's where I was going. You and another man were out in the woods working on a tree. Mm -hmm. Were there other people around, or was it just the two of you? Well, it wasn't working with us, no, but there was other people around. We had a split stuff camp, and we made you made uh, all kinds of split stuff. Uh, grape stakes, fence posts, railroad ties, shingle bowls, shake bowls. I used to say I made everything but a good living. But with you say that with a big, satisfied grin. Yeah. Tell me more. Because my wife said you lied about that. <laughs> you mentioned that uh, there were the fallers, like yourself, and then there were the other men making things out of the wood that you fell. Yeah. A split-stuff camp. They made grape stakes, fence posts, railroad ties, shingle bowls, shake bowls. So how does a, how did you make a shake? Well, they were 25 inches long. You split them into bolts, and then you use a fro and maul and split them into boards. And then we, we, had, we had what they call Hollywood shakes, so we run them through a bandsaw and cut them corner to corner. So you had a, a smooth tip and a slit and a... Rough butt on each shake. Let's start with the bolt. What is a bolt? 
It's a block of wood. How big? 25 inches long and whatever you could pick up. Well, for example, by pick up, you mean the dimensions of it. Yeah. Some trees are are heavier than the devil and other trees are light. Another word, another word you used was fro. Yeah, that's the blade that you that you split the shakes with. What does it look like? Well, it looks like a knife about 18 inches long with a big eye and a handle on one end. And you drove it in with a mole and broke it open. And a mole is like a very fat axe. Well, a mole was just a, a hard piece of wood and uh, out of oak. Usually you were lucky if you had a knot in it so it wouldn't break out, but you cut it in the length you wanted and then drilled a hole in it, put a handle in it, and use it for a mall. How long would you want it to be? What, the mall? Yes. Whatever you could handle for muscle. Well, for example, for yourself, a husky person. Uh, I was always the strongest one in the mill, so I, I made my malls a lot bigger than the rest of them did. How big were yours? Usually out of oak, about... Uh, 12, 14 inches long, and about six inches around, and drill a hole in it and put a handle in it. How much did that weigh? Probably 30 pounds. And you would swing it up uh, over beyond the top of your head? All day long. So you went back and forth between the mill and the... Oh, yeah, it was only 12 miles long. Our guest is Jack Scott, a 96-year-old resident of Ukiah, California. He worked in the old-growth redwood forests of California before the advent of the chainsaw, beginning when he was 15 years old. This is Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Jack Scott, I, I see that you have some pictures in your hand, and one of them is about a, uh, a picture that's in a local um, bakery here in Ukiah, Schatz Bakery. Yeah. Tell us about what is in it. Yeah, this, this tree here was big, heavy leaner, and it leaned right towards a rock bluff, which would have lost it altogether if it had felt the way it leaned. And we pulled a, a sixth of a circle. When it went over, I had a 27 fallen wedges in it and 140 pounds of shims. What's a falling wedge? A redwood falling wedge is 27 inches long, 4 inches wide, and runs from nothing up to 3 quarters of an inch. What does it do? You lift the tree on one side so it falls the other way. Doing that so that the tree doesn't go in the other direction and crush you. That tree there was a heavy leaner, and we had... We wedged that until I had the, that low side of that up four inches before it went over. You can pick a tree up with wedges. So where are the wedges? In the undercut. And the, in the uh, back cut. The back cut. So when it falls, it falls on an, the other side of the tree that's cut. That, that's the cut that guides it. How big is that cut? that guides it as big as the tree is across and sometimes four feet high the 
tree with the undercut that uh, you're you're sitting on, how high is that undercut? It looks like you're sitting on it, uh, and it's well above your head. Yeah, so. that that was all chopped out. Of course, the back cut's not in it. The, this guides it. By guiding it, what do you mean? That's where it's going to fall. To the area that's flat. Yeah. So that it doesn't splinter apart. Right. Is a tree that splinters apart when it hits the ground on, on impact, is that unique to redwood trees? Yeah. Why is that? They split easy. Do you know why they split more easily than other trees? Now, you can fall a redwood tree on solid concrete as long as it's flat. But if it's got a low spot in it or a high spot in it, it'll shatter from one end to the other. And then it's useless. So what does that mean if you make a mistake and it's not flat? You've lost an otherwise good tree. Yeah. You lose one of those big ones, you go looking for a job. Uh, Jack, I'm I'm curious if you gave any thought when you were cutting these uh, trees that were very, very old about what the world was like at the time they were baby trees. Some of the trees were, I suspect, uh, 1,000, 1,500, or 2,000 years old. No, we never really thought about it. The main thing we thought about is we couldn't pay our taxes with them standing. What was your preference as a place to work? Oh, I I enjoyed working in a mill, but I, I liked the woods mostly. Beyond the trees, beyond cutting the trees, what was life like for you in the woods? That was about it. I had a cabin out there. I didn't have to stay, but I'd stay over once in a while. I loved to lay out there when it was pouring down rain and hear it hitting the roof and make a big pan of popcorn and sit there with a... I had a Latin lamp. And that Latin lamp, they give the same light as a 60-watt bulb. Jack, I, I understand when you worked in the woods, you had a pet skunk. Yeah, he used to he used to come out in the moonlight and I'd see him out there and I'd, I'd put out... A, he loved gravy more than anything and I'd make gravy and put it out there. And I put it a little closer and a little closer, and finally I put it in. I had a hole on the screen, and he came through the hole in the screen, and he he got down. And after about a week of feeding him every day, I reached down and I picked him up very gently and, and set him on the couch with me. And he used to show up every, every night. And... Uh, I never had any mice after that. He cleaned out all the mice. Did you give him a name? Stinky. (laughs) (laughs) And finally a guy come up there and he seen him and he shot him. And I fired him right on the spot. (laughs) You were in charge of the work in the woods. Yeah. Yeah. And that was still before chainsaws. Yeah. Tell us about your first experience using uh, a chainsaw. I'm 96, and and my memory's not that good. The old man bought it. He paid something like $800 for it. 
That was a lot of money in those years. The old man. My father-in-law. I worked for him for years. He, he was an alcoholic. He was a hard boy to work for, I'll tell you. When you mean he was a hard person to work for, can, can you say more? Well, he was an alcoholic. <laughs> Would that have been dangerous uh, to be an alcoholic working in the woods? Oh, yeah. He never got around me when I was working, though. How'd you arrange for that? He knew better. I was the strongest one in the family. <laughs> Physically or, or? Physically. Okay. I understand that your wife's father, your father-in-law, Mr. Johnson, owned the property and then chose to sell it to the state of California. And that's the property where you were cutting the trees. Yeah. What were your thoughts about that? I kind of wondered why he didn't take that same money and put all the kids through college. Did you ever ask him? No. Would you have been one of those kids? No, because I didn't like school. But the, So the kids you were referring to might have been your children, your yeah. wife? Uh, Jack Scott, how old were you when you decided uh, it was time to stop working in the woods? I don't know. I got a job with with the state handling heavy equipment, so I I quit the woods to go to work for the state. Then I got on the grader, and the the grader paid the most, so I stayed on it every day. What did you grade? Dirt, all dirt roads in Northern California. Up out of Oric. Oric in um, in Del Norte County, yeah. right next to just south of the Oregon California state line. Yeah. Well, Jack, you mentioned earlier in our visit today that um, you learn you read a lot and you learned a lot from books. Yeah. Can you tell us more the kinds of things that you've learned? Well, I've. I read. I started reading when I was about in the fifth grade, and I used to go to the Hillsburg Library, and they used to let me take out seven books at a time. And I'd go back in about a week and get seven others. And uh, these were just just books, but I remembered most of what I read. Do you remember the books, the early books that you read? Oh, I went through all of Zane Gray's, and I went through Louis L'Amour's, and, and that's about all that I remember the names of. And the ones that you went on to read as you grew a little older, what were they? Well, I read until TV came out, and then I watched TV more than I did, did reading, so. What year was that? I know I, I I only went to to the ninth grade in school, so I I had a lot of time to read. So you would have been um, about sixteen. Fifteen. Fifteen when the TV came out. Yeah. You were born in what year? Twenty-one. I'd like to ask some questions about you, and one is. Uh, 
an aha moment or an incident that you saw or something you thought about that changed your life. Can you share that with us? I was in the war for four years. And I seen a lot there. I run the LCM Leningrad. And I was on, I was never attached to a ship. I was on boat bases all over the South Pacific. Okinawa, Camerata, Anawetok, Ulithi. I had some close ones there. Ulithi was a big harbor. You could, it was about 10 miles from Southern Harbor to Northern Harbor. I've made it in a blackout in the middle of the night, pouring down rain. How did uh, those events change your life or your perception of the world? Well, I found out it wasn't an easy place to live in. Has that proven true since? And, and that was after your time working in the woods. So if the world for you, and, and I believe for all of us, um, is not an easy place to live, do you have some suggestions on how to cope with the difficulties? No, live every day to the best. And for you, what does that mean? Well, I met my wife when she was 14, and we got married at 17 and 18, and she was my world from then on. And she's no longer with us? No, she's been gone about 16 years now, but we were married 60, 63, 64 years. That's a long time. So, uh, Jack, what what would you like to do with the remainder of your one precious life? Just be with my family, my boys. They check on me practically every day. And finally, Jack Scott, is there a book or a movie uh, that you could recommend to our listeners? I liked all Lamore's books, Louis Lamore. Well, Jack Scott, I want to thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Thank you. Our guest is Jack Scott, a 96-year-old resident of Ukiah, California. He worked in the old-growth redwood forests of California before the advent of the chainsaw, beginning when he was 15 years old in 1936. The books that Jack Scott recommends are those written by Louis L'Amour. This program was recorded on November 12, 2017. Over 630 archive editions on our website, www.radiocurious.org. They're all free to listen and download and share anytime, anywhere as my gift to you. Our programs are published weekly 
normally on Tuesday evening. Your comments, ideas, and suggestions are always appreciated, and we do enjoy hearing from you. The email address is curious at radiocurious.org. Postal mail is 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482. The phone is 707-462-6541. Christina Onestead is our assistant producer. I'm host and producer Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.